This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your driver, Peter Korchnak. There's a Yugoslav car that was even more important than the Yugo for the country and for the country's memory. Fitro is a phenomenal car and it's got this appeal. It's kind of small and it's not ugly, but it's not beautiful. You know, you can kind of see in it, you know, whatever you want. Better known by its nickname, Fica in Serbian, Ficho in Bosnian, Croatian and Macedonian, and Ficko or Ficek in Slovenian, Zastava 750 was the first Yugoslav car. And Ficha was the first car for a regular person with a regular job and salary. Ficha was, and continues to be, a Yugoslav icon, a symbol of that disappeared country and an object of nostalgia. In metaphorical terms, Ficho is Yugoslavia, and probably always will be. So the story of Ficha is more than just a story about a little car. It's a fable of Yugoslavia's history and memory, a road from fields to freeways, a tale of fame and freedom, a journey that keeps logging new journal entries every day. In today's episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, Ficha goes back to the future. Before we get on the road, I want to acknowledge the newest Remembering Yugoslavia supporters, especially Cheryl. Thank you all for your generous contributions. I truly appreciate having you on this ride. If this podcast brightens your day or brings back memories, if you learn something or if you laugh or cry, be like Cheryl. Navigate to rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate, pick your route, and chip in for the gas. The story of Ficha begins at the birth of socialist Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia, before the Second World War, was predominantly agrarian country. And of the industry that was in the country before the Second World War, quite a bit was destroyed. A lot of infrastructure was destroyed. Bridges were torn down. Railway was practically inexistent after the Second World War. You may remember Martin Pogacar from episode 6, Yugoslavia as Cultural Subversion. He's a research fellow at the Ljubljana-based Institute of Culture and Memory Studies. In addition to Yugoslavia's pop culture and digital afterlives, he's an expert in all things Fitchko and the author of the book in Slovenian, Fitchko Around Yugoslavia, the star of domestic automobilism between roads and memories, published in 2016. My Slovenian is quite poor, so I used the new Croatian translation of the book as a main source for this episode. An interesting side note, while the subtitle is the same in the Croatian edition as in the original, the title was changed to Ficho, the car for all, that is, it omits mention of Yugoslavia. Anyway, I spoke with the Aficionado in January 2020 in Ljubljana. So this was a country that was kind of trying to become a country, but it had no means. So they had to, in the very early post-war years, rebuild the country. And this is what set in motion the, the whole industrialization of the country. And as well, with that came modernization of, you know, the everyday and so on. And Fitra was, in the first years, definitely a symbol of that. Later on, of course, there was other cars that were <laughs> bigger and faster and, you know, but none was as cute. <laughs> After the war, the longtime armaments and weapons manufacturer based in Kragujevac in today's Serbia, Zavodi Crvena Zastava, Red Flag Companies, produced military and agricultural vehicles, including jeeps. This was part of the nascent industrial development and modernization policy Yugoslavia launched in the early 1950s after the split with the Soviet Union. Beginning in 1954, Yugoslavia signed hundreds of contracts with foreign, predominantly Western companies to acquire their technology for domestic production. The percentage of contracts related to the automotive and adjacent industries was so significant that the industry became one of the leading sectors in the country. The settlement of border disputes with Italy in 1954 paved the way for cooperation with that country. 
Cervena Zastava signed a vehicle production agreement with Fiat, the first big commercial arrangement and enterprise between a Western corporation and a socialist one in the post-war era. Initially, Cervena Zastava produced Fiat cars. First a Jeep-like AP55 Campagnola, then a couple of sedans. The first feature, Fiat 600, rolled off the line on October 18, 1955. It had a 633 cubic centimeter, 22 horsepower rear wheel engine. Like its successors, it was two-door, 3.3 meters or 130 inches long, and 1.4 meters or 55 inches tall and wide. I've compared the car to a fat bubble. It's compact, cute, and curvaceous. The car's nickname was either borrowed from a character in a comic by Milorad Dobrich that ran in the Borba newspaper in the late 1950s called Kurir Ficha, or it was a local diminutive of the word Fiat. Either way, the car had to accomplish three things seat for adults, be fuel-efficient and affordable, and have a suspension soft enough for eggs placed on the rear seat to not break while the car drove across a freshly plowed field. I found different yearly production figures, but what's for sure is that Cervena Zastava produced more and more features every year, some 3600 in 1958 and 11,000 in 1961. The next model, the 750, launched in 1962 with some design and technical upgrades to 767 ccms and 25 horsepower, which enabled maximum speed of 110 kilometers or 68 miles per hour. Subsequent variants boasted even bigger engines. Some 26,000 features were produced in 1964. In 1965, a new factory went online with a capacity of 50,000 features. Annual capacity increased again to 85,000 in 1968, when new production lines in Macedonia and Kosovo were added to the five in Kragujevac. In 1969, Fiat ceased production of the 600 model, which is when Zastava 750 began to diverge from the 600 even more. One major change was replacing the rear hinge doors, which opened from front to back and were nicknamed suicide doors, with regular front hinged ones. Zastava 850 came out in 1980 with an 843 ccm engine that could get up to 125 kilometers or 78 miles per hour. In all, 923,487 Zastava 750s were made in the 30 years from 1955. The last feature rolled off to the assembly line on November 18, 1985. It was red. Feature was used not only as a civilian passenger vehicle, but there were also police, military, driving school and other service features. There were wait lists for the car in the 1960s. Meanwhile, in 1961, Zastava began producing its own version of Fiat 1300, in 1971 the 101 or Stojadin, which was Fiat 128, and in 1978 the Yugo, i.e. Fiat 127. Zastava also wasn't the only company in Yugoslavia to make passenger cars. Volkswagen Golfs were assembled in Sarajevo, Citroën and Renault cars in Novo Mesto, Slovenia, and Opels in Kikinda, Vojvodina. The key point here is assembled. Rather than assembling cars from imported parts, Cervena Zastava and Kragujevac actually produced them. The relatively open economy and a great number of Yugoslavs working abroad meant there were plenty of foreign-made cars in the country, imported, from both the West and the socialist countries, including my own, Czechoslovakia. I just about fell over a few years ago when I spotted a mint Škoda 110R coupe in Belgrade. I hadn't seen one back home in ages, or since. Of the 110,000 new automobiles sold in 1968, 56,000 were domestic and 54,000 imported. Given the model production timelines, most made-in-Yugoslavia cars sold that year were features. Anecdotally, because I cannot find good figures for this, a photo in Pogacar's book, perhaps from the late 1960s or early 1970s, of a central square in a seaside town, shows features comprising some 14% of all the cars parked there. 
That again is just one make and model in a fairly open economy. Long story short, and all the numbers aside, Fico was an unspoken and undisputed ruler of Yugoslavia's roads and hearts. But Fico was more than just a car. It was considered a car that put Yugoslavia on wheels, but it was not a truly Yugoslav car, it was a Fiat. But nevertheless, Fico is a phenomenal car and it's got this appeal. It's kind of small and it's not ugly, but it's not beautiful. You know, you can kind of see in it, you know, whatever you want. You can see in it the incapability of Yugoslavia to make a car. Or you can see in it a car that put Yugoslavia on wheels, nevertheless. <laughs> it's also a story about industrialization. When we think about socialist economy or industry, we think about it like it's a hugely, you know, immensely, like this centralized system. But on the other hand, Zastava, the factory that was making these cars, they had about 200 cooperants across the country. So it was a huge network that was kind of filling in and also living through this industry. There was also peripheral industries also, obviously, that developed from uh, rubber to, you know, canvas, metal, uh, I don't know, that had to develop, to make the whole system work. Zastava was designated to be the sole producer of passenger vehicles in Yugoslavia. The ethnic key policy, which aimed, among other things, to equalize development in the country, was implemented on the level of component suppliers, with dozens of companies scattered all over the country. About 30% of Fichko's parts were made in Slovenia, for example. The horizontal integration of production may have satisfied the requirements of brotherhood and unity, but it led to problems. Zastava, as the end producer, could not control the quality of components. And there was competition among the supplier enterprises, most of which manufacture Zastava components in addition to other products. Still, the development of the automotive industry in Yugoslavia spurred the development of other industries, contributing to Yugoslavia achieving by the late 1950s some of the fastest economic growth rates in the world. Yugoslavs learned how to design and manufacture complex products, how to arrange supply chains, how to sell stuff. Gas stations, service companies, car washes, magazines all rode the coattails of the automotive industry. What's more, the impact of Yugoslavia's car industry extended beyond stimulating the industrial sectors that supplied its inputs, and the inputs' inputs, and the adjacent sectors. It impacted other areas of life as well, from architecture, to urban planning, to product design, to consumption, to tourism. Take New Belgrade, an extension of the capital built on the left bank of the Sava. The first master plan, adopted in 1950, envisaged a city functionally separated into areas or blocks where people could fulfill their basic needs and have less need to move around. Whatever transportation was needed, among blocks and to other parts of the city, was to be serviced by trams, buses, trolleybuses, as well as state-owned service vehicles. As Yugoslavia's modernization took off, new government policies shifted focus from capital to consumer goods, from heavy to consumer industries. This was in part a reflection of the new economic system of self-management, whereby workers who consumed more would be motivated to produce more. Consumption subsequently took off. Yugoslavs filled their houses and apartments with modern furniture and appliances. They followed world fashion, used cosmetics, listened to rock and roll, ate well, took vacations to the sea and abroad, built vikendice, weekend homes. And they bought and drove cars. Private ownership of passenger vehicles ballooned. Pre-war, in 1938, there were 1 1.3 cars per thousand inhabitants in Yugoslavia. In 1960, five years into Fico's production, there were about 12 cars per thousand people in socialist Yugoslavia. In 1965, the figure jumped to 32 cars per 1,000. 
For comparison, in Italy it was 106 per thousand, and in 1969 to 82 per thousand. Again, about half the cars sold in Yugoslavia were domestic, half imported. By the mid-1960s, Belgrade urban planners could no longer ignore the automobile. Aided by urban planners from the U.S., the second master plan of Belgrade, developed in 1967, put transportation at its core. The car took over the cities and the countryside as Yugoslavs traveled, more often than not by car, to the Adriatic coast as well as abroad, including to the west. Amidst all that, Fico became, in the words of Karen Taylor and Hans Greditz, an icon of holiday-making in Yugoslavia in the 1960s. In short, the Yugoslav dream, to use Patrick Haider Patterson's phrase, was made of stuff and experiences, and it fit into a feature. Feature acquired legendary status already during the socialist Yugoslav era. After all, it was produced for most of the country's existence. Fan clubs of the Yugoslav socialist automobile existed already in the 1970s. Most Yugoslav citizens thus had some experience with it at some point in their life. It was part of the fabric of Yugoslav life. There was no car that ever felt more completely ours than Fica, writes anthropologist Marko Živković. It was the first car in Yugoslavia that was affordable to many, which made it a true people's car. What does affordable mean? Whereas in 1964 a Fica cost 31 average monthly salaries, a mere four years later, in 1968, only 18. Fičko made it onto silver and TV screens as well. In his book, Pogacar traces how the role of the car, in general but often personified with Fico, evolved in Yugoslavia. Popular culture formed, through film and music, the cultural imagination of the car, and consequently attitudes toward life, present moment and society, he writes. As the Yugoslav people's car, Fica played a central role. Whereas first the car was a tool for transport, for work, utilitarian, later it became a status symbol of the middle class, of abundance, of having made it in the Yugoslav society. And then finally the young people's right, a stand-in for independence and emancipation, for life itself. Fica was a symbol of Yugoslavia's development, of mobility and ascendance to the middle class, and of individual independence and consumerism. In the 1961 film Prvi građanin Malevaroši, the first citizen of a small town, the protagonist, a municipality director played by the Yugoslav actor Rade Marković, inexpertly drives a feature as he deals with the challenges of the titular town's urban development. In the eighth episode of the 1975 television series Garlom Oyagode, titled Driving Hours, characters learn how to drive in a feature. Feature reached its pop cultural pinnacle as the co-star in the 1979 film by Goran Marković, Nacionalna Klasa, National Class. The protagonist Floyd, a cool, carefree dude portrayed by the great Yugoslav actor Dragan Nikolic, races a souped-up black feature with two yellow stripes in the category of small domestic vehicles. All he wants is to win, to the expense of his girlfriend, the military draft, and generally his responsibilities as an adult. In the early 1980s, the children's program Kocka Kocka Kockica ran an episode titled From the Life of a Ficho, where a group of children meet an orange Ficho, sporting a moustache across the grill, big eyes on the windscreen and a cap on the roof. 
najbolje je da pođete sa mnom, pa ćete sve videti. He drives them to visit the Zastava factory and to learn how he is made. Fica featured in a couple of children's songs and there were also Fica jokes in old Yugoslavia. Why do Fica drivers go to heaven? Because in the Fica they've already been to hell. Why do Fica drivers never carry a map? Because they can't get far and so they can't get lost. Fica was actually designed for five people. One is driving, four are pushing. What do you do when Fica overheats? Stop pushing it and let it rest. If Fica was an icon of Yugoslavia, it was an icon of its demise as well. On June 27, 1991, a couple of days after Croatia seceded from Yugoslavia and proclaimed independence, Yugoslav People's Army tanks rolled through the city of Osijek. The local resident Branko Breškic parked his red Fico to block their path. Seconds after Breškic exited his Fico, a T-55 tank, driven by a Croatian soldier no less, rammed it and crushed it against the side of a bus. After Yugoslavia disintegrated, the Yugoslav auto industry followed. Zastava suffered from sanctions imposed on the Milosevic regime and was partly destroyed in the 1999 NATO bombing. But a revival of sorts began shortly after when modified Florida and Coral models went into production. In 2008, the now Serbian company Zastava entered a joint venture with Fiat, which became its majority owner. The loop closed. Meanwhile, Fica lives. Uh, my name is Jovana, and currently we are riding in my little baby, the yellow Fica from 1978. I am a tattoo artist, and I love cars. I don't know why I love cars. I love old cars. <laughs> I don't know. I just appreciate the effort, the technology, the engineering skills, and the artistic skills that they've put into old cars all together you know people have put so much effort in these cars back in the day you just can't not appreciate them um, this car brought many good things to me I met so many nice people good people um, people with amazing hobbies similar to this one um, so yeah and then the business came later Jovana Stojelkovic is the founder of Yugoverse, a company in Belgrade offering tours around the city in Yugoslav cars. She bought the Fica, whom she nicknamed Chips, in 2016. Chips the Fica was the first of three Fichas Stojelkovic now owns, and she now also has a Yugo 45 and a Yugo Cabrio convertible. I met with Stojelkovic in Block 23 in New Belgrade, and she took me for a drive to her tattoo studio in Chips, my first experience in a Fica. What is the story of the car's name, Chips the Fica? So the story of the car's name is very short. The fact that I've bought it with the license plate that starts with PI and then the last two letters C and S have formed the name Chips. Ah, okay, so it's, there we go. it's actually one it wasn't the letter C, it was the letter Ch as in chips, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So four letters perfectly aligned on the license plate just to ask for it. A decade ago, the anthropologist Marko Zivković scoured the Nacionalna Klasa internet forum to see how members relate to Fica. 
In answers to the question, what does Ficha mean to you, he found people see the little car as a person. The mere fact the Zastava 750 has a nickname testifies to that. Stoilkovic naming her Ficha punctuates it. Moreover, to many people, Ficha was a family member, writes Rivkovic, a master timebinder, a memento that recalls family history, end quote. Ficha is an object through which former Yugoslavs tell their personal stories and those of their families. Maybe you were conceived in one, or were driven around in one as a baby to help you fall asleep, or you rode in the backseat of one to an Adriatic vacation with your family, or you learned how to drive in one. Maybe if Fichko was the first car you bought or you raced one on weekends. Perhaps you hauled bricks in one to build your Vikinica or you picked up girls in one. There's just it's like a million stories. You know, the first story I heard was from my mom. And, you know, oh, there was like, uh, so my mom and her sister and my grandfather and grandmother and my grandmother's mother who would all fit into Fichko, including uh, camping equipment. Yeah. And they would drive to, I don't know, somewhere in Istria. So for me, it was like impossible to understand, you know, so... We have now these huge cars, but we cannot fit everything in. <laughs> At the same time that Ficha ties together many a family history, it connects people's personal past with that of the community and the country. Ficha has come to stand for a whole way of life in the former Yugoslavia, writes Zivkovic. A recent meme in Serbian circulating on Yugonostalgic networks is telling. The text around a picture of a Ficha at a gas station reads, Daddy, how were things in Yugoslavia? How? You went to Serbia, you went to Croatia, you went every freaking where. Your feature breaks down, nobody around in the middle of the night, no cell phones. So you knock on the nearest door, people open and go find a mechanic, and meanwhile they serve you some cold cuts, some rakia, you end up staying the night. That's how things were in Yugoslavia, son. Fica does his magic all over the world. Take Pep Stojanovic, formerly of Kragujevac, now in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He is the owner of Kami Cars, which imports and restores vehicles from that time and place. In a 2018 short, he told this story of driving his orange feature. We pulled up to uh, a Serbian uh, deli uh, grocery store, and we were standing outside with the owner who was admiring it and looking at the engine. When another guy, another car pulls up, and he goes, is that a feature? How can there be a feature in America on Forest Home? As he goes through a series of his stories, I come to the realization that these are all new stories. But I go, what I want to ask you now is, when was the last time that you told that story to anyone? He's like, I never would have even thought of them had I not seen the feature here in front of me. And then it dawned on me that it's not just a car. It's, it's not just an everyday get you to work and back. And it's not just a, you know, drive it through the snow and the rain. That these cars have a lot more. I've told people, I go, this is an antidepressant on wheels. I mean, you can't help but smile, you can't help but feel warm, you can't help but uh, ha have a, uh, an exceptionally positive response to them, uh, because everything that they evoke are of happy times. Like Trabi in East Germany became a prime carrier of nostalgie, Ficha has become a beast of Yugonostalgia. Zivkovic again. This little vehicle has in that way acquired the power to date both family history and the zeitgeist of an era. Feature was a really, really good example of seeing into the layeredness or the really the, the diachronicity of Yugoslav history. It's not just Yugoslav car. I mean, it was a car that grew up with the country and then at some point the country outgrew it. But the country is not there, but there's still quite a number of features. And they're growing in popularity. Do you know how many there are still on the roads of uh, Serbia? 
Um, not that many, but more and more each year, I believe. And we started joking that um, people, you know, have started restoring Zastava cars that much that we're going to have more Zastavas now than we used to have when we were producing them. When I say we, I'm coming back to us younger people who started driving these cars because we love them, not because we have to drive them. And we started, you know, adjusting them, using different rims, lowering them, you know, using all kinds of custom stuff on them. This um, was done years before I bought my first car. So I just kind of continued swimming in that sea of endless possibilities of, you know, pimp my Zastava um, <laughs> society because it was a cheap car to um, modify and a cheap car to drive. Well, before these strict laws of registration that we have right now, you could do whatever you wanted with your car and get away with it. What would this, uh, this particular feature, not that you're selling it, but a similar feature go for today? Um, there are so many different prices out there. The thing is, you can never get back what you invested in the car if you uh, did it properly. Like, I invested more than 6,000 euros in this car. I say more than 6,000 because that's where I stopped counting, more or less. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? If I wanted to gain any profit from it, it would have to cost at least eight or nine thousand euros. Nobody would buy this car for that amount of money unless it's yeah. someone insane. But it's not about the money. The thing that people don't understand is the commitment you have to put into this car. It's literally like you're adopting a child. I'm not exaggerating. Because, you know, you need to know the needs of the car and you need to know what to do when it breaks, why it broke and just take care of it all the time. Sometimes you just want to do something and your car doesn't want to do it. Well, what people don't understand. It's not all about finances, it's about commitment. To love a feature is to know what is love, and those who don't know how to suffer don't know how to love, professed a member of a feature internet forum. I could tell Stoilkovich loves chips to death. Are you trying to preserve it as close to the original, or uh, are there any adjustments? So as you have seen it, that's the way it came out from the factory in like 99% visually especially so I have restored it in its original color we have used the sample from the under the hood you know where it's um, least influenced by the light and least faded so it's in its original factory color and then the interior is the red pepito design it was specific for this uh, Zastava 750 special or special um, they had the black and white or the red and white uh, pepito, depending on the car color. So I've managed to find the same design for the interior. I followed all the rules except some things that I've added, like I've added leather steering wheel just for, you know, nicer grip and like a nice touch. And the rims are original and the tires are even original. I still drive the tires from... <laughs> Yugoslavia, I know that's not very convenient, but um, I'm not good at finding new tires for uh -huh. my car, I, I admit. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, the car is 99% original. I have done minimal adjustments to the mechanical parts of the car to make my life easier. First of all, the alternator as the newer version, um, and then the new type of water pump. And not to go into too many details, I have put the electronic ignition from the Yugo 45. So some things like that that don't really influence the um, engine performance a lot, but it influences the general, let's say, well-being of the car. So it has less problems and I'm not really worried of going anywhere with it. Speaking of Yugo 45, uh, what made you choose 
the feature over the Yugo? Well, since I have two Yugos as well. <laughs> um, I don't know. Feature is a, is a cute car. It has a great personality. That's how I saw it since day one, like a tiny car with a huge personality. And it's very old school. I have to admit the love for the Yugo came much later. And I believe that the love for the Yugo will grow in people just now. Before, as I mentioned, it was a cheap car to uh, modify and drive, but now it's become more of a relic and now people are looking at the Yugo as an old-timer instead of just a cheap, you know, thing to drive from point A to point B. So yes, the, the feature came along in 2016 and then another feature and then another feature. And then the Yugo convertible, as I've learned later in life, that there was a Yugo convertible that was made in only 500 units and very, very few of them still exist. And then after all that, when I, you know, kind of made a full circle with collecting things and learning about Yugoslavia, I got my Yugo 45, which I'm also keeping in factory condition as much as I can. Stojilkovic had arrived to our meeting in her Yugo Cabrio convertible, which she had souped up with chameleon paint. Is it purple? Is it blue? Is it sparkly green? Yes. Restoring the factory condition is one of two ways people treat their features, and other made-in-Yugoslavia cars for that matter. It's actually more difficult than souping them up because you need original parts as well as the right kind and amount of dedication. Often the process entails taking the car apart, fixing what can be fixed, replacing what needs to be replaced, and putting it all back together again. It's like a rebirth, in the words of one enthusiast, that leads to the restored car being even better than the original, more itself. It's less repair and more rejuvenation, and on a metaphorical level, a revitalization of the society that produced the original car in the first place. Zhivkovic, the anthropologist, claims that, quote, ex-Yugoslavs who lovingly restore their features are often quite explicitly conscious that they are thereby enacting some sort of a ritual return to the idealized past of a country that had some weight, some order, and some self-respect. To restore feature to its factory condition is to magically gather the dispersed agency of a dead state, a dream, and a desire to retrieve that which may never be recovered. And it also is a very interesting object through which to look at the post-Yugoslav situation, because it's an object that is a kernel around which people from different parts of Yugoslavia meet, because they need spare parts. I mean, it's a very mundane thing, but it's quite essential if you want to have a drivable feature. <laughs> and there are quite a few people doing it, if online forums and old-timer car shows are any indication. Stojilkovic is a member of one of many Zastava fan clubs around the region. There are dedicated feature fan clubs in Niš, Zagreb, Rijeka and Dalmatia, for example, and feature owners are a strong contingent at Zastava fan clubs around the old country, including its origin, Kragujevac. Until the pandemic, an annual feature festival, aka Ficiada, took place in Jagodina, Serbia. A feature fest gathering took place in Kragujevac just a few days ago. Remember the red feature from Osijek? In 2011, an art installation that aims to serve as a kind of a monument was erected at the intersection of Vukovarska and Kleinova streets. Feature crushes a tank, features a red feature with the registration plate comprising OS for Osijek and the date 270691, mounting a T-55 tank submissively sinking in a box of gravel. Initiated by a city councillor and created by unknown authors affiliated with a local veterans organization, the installation aims to symbolize the city's resistance in the Croatian War of Independence. It wants to say that the spirit of resistance against an aggression not only cannot be crushed, but it also prevails in the end. The piece was vandalized shortly after its unveiling, but soon restored. 
One of my Instagram followers, Adrian Alzamalo, not a real name, an Osiak native, told me in a direct message he considered it an ill-conceived installation with little or no artistic value. It's like a fist into the eye, as we say. I would love to see it removed. He sees it as part of a takeover by right-wing nationalist currents of public spaces in the city. Moreover, he says, one of the reasons I dislike the installation is because it reminds me of the day my childhood ended. Another reason is that since we never allowed enemy tanks into the city during the war, there is no reason to have one on display at the most traffic-heavy intersection. Finally, the piece keeps and produces more hate toward our neighbors and our past as Yugoslav and Croats in Yugoslavia, and thus serves the politicians very well. The piece also inspired a parody blog Red Feature recommends. For example, it called for the monument to be included in the UNESCO World Cultural Heritage List to join the likes of the Taj Mahal or the pyramids in Giza. My alternative, metaphorical read on the installation is this. An industrial symbol of Yugoslavia that later became a pop culture one tops a military one, underscoring the survival of the country on the cultural level even as the political unit perished in a series of wars. In this subversive twist, the monument could be inadvertently communicating that on one level, Yugoslavia lives. In 2013, the Montenegrin singer Sabria Vulic, who has lived in the US since the 1980s, released the Naruna Musica song Pichi Ficha, in which he exalts the car's qualities. Vulic loves women and his feature, which carries him as if he were a young man without shame and eliciting awe. When the former Yugoslavia existed, goes a late verse, it was proud of feature. Anyone who wanted it could drive it, even those who weren't rich. In the video, Vulic drives a yellow feature on country roads. 
Three scantily clad women are hitchhiking, but instead of the Ficha, they stop a big black Mercedes. The Mechka then breaks down, and Vulich's Ficha is there to save the day. Follow Vulich on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and YouTube, and buy his music on Amazon. I've included the links in the episode blog post. There's today in Kran, just outside Ljubljana, a guy who makes uh, miniature features. And he calls them the Slovenian features. <laughs> and he's really proud of them because he's apparently sold nearly 500,000. Because each car has two register blades and each one has a red star. He says he's sold a million stars. <laughs> to be honest, I have like about 50 of them. So I can send you. <laughs> Why do you have 50 miniature features at home? I don't know. When this book was coming out, I thought it would be a good idea to just give one away with each book. <laughs> And but then the, we had some other arrangement. So uh, yeah, but yeah, give me an address and I'll send it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are countless other examples of Ficho's presence and persistence in popular culture. The movie Nacionalna Klasa has inspired a couple of eponymous businesses in Serbia. There's a cafe restaurant in Belgrade called Nacionalna Klasa, situated near the Museum of Modern Art on the left bank of the Sava River, with a Ficha painted like in the movie on a pedestal out front. And I spotted the fast food joint Nacionalna Klasa in the food court of a mall in Novi Sad. In 2013, two youngsters from Split toured all of former Yugoslavia's breweries in a white feature. The online magazine Autoslavia follows the old-timer scene, transferring the country's memory into that of its cars. Through unique personal and historical stories, we celebrate the car and preserve the car heritage, write the creators at autoslavia.com. Some of the cars are of course featured. A 2013 parody video, Top Gear Yugoslavia, presents feature among three Yugoslav cars with the Yugo 45 and Zastava 101 as something of a hot rod. Ficho achieves a fantastic result of going from 0 to 40 km per hour in an unbelievable 30 seconds. Ficho može postići fantastičan rezultat od 0 do 40 km na sat u nevjerovatnih 30 sekundi. Naturally, Ficho enjoys an adventurous life on social media. Several Facebook pages and Instagram accounts are dedicated to the little car. Facebook page named simply Ficho, founded in 2008 and, alas, inactive since October 2020, has 39,000 likes. The 58,000-strong page Zastava Automobili, dedicated to the past and the present of the factory's product since 2013, is very much active. Ficho makes a frequent appearance on the page, particularly through shares from the page Ficha Sevoli Sve Ostalo Sevozi, a wordplay that translates roughly to Ficha you love, everything else you drive. On YouTube, countless videos tell stories of driving, restoring, pimping, loving the little guy. So the story of Ficha continues. How did you go from having just a fun car to drive because you like it to uh, actually using it to make a living? So I have, as I said, a lot of friends who own old Zastava cars as well, who are passionate about saving this heritage and just, you know, keeping the story alive. 
and we figured you know if this if there is a possibility to earn money through this and we knew there was um, why not do it we own the cars we know them best we take care of them we can drive them and they can earn their own money so the car doesn't have to be an expense it can actually you know fend for itself it can earn money for the registration for the spare parts and it doesn't have to be a costly hobby so you said uh, heritage um, you know it's one thing to of course think that it's a cool car it's a it's a veteran it's a it's a retro toy or whatever another thing to think it's a business tool you know uh, commercializing or you know making a living or making a business out of uh, wanting to be in this car or ride in this car but it's a whole another ball game uh, if you will to um, want to preserve the legacy or preserve the heritage that you said uh, that you were trying to do as well so tell me about that so that's an interesting um, wordplay used there as you said this car is definitely not a toy it's cute in the pictures people like to take photos of it post it on Instagram have it on their wedding etc but this car is definitely not a toy it's a headache most of the time for people who don't know what to do with it um, you know you get used to it after a while you know how to recognize the problems and you know how to solve them fairly quickly but it's not a toy and the heritage part is the most important part for me personally um, we are like a little army of people who are battling against time to make sure that these guys don't get forgotten. Educating people that don't know and reminding people who might have forgotten. So yeah, someone has to do it. Um, the state, uh, the country is not really interested in it because there's no real profit in it, I think. So it's just us regular people and drivers and people who have restored these cars and have experience with them who are obligated to educate other people and just, you know, um, make people pay attention to this because this is our history and it's very, very worthy of mentioning. I consider it my duty to, you know, do my little part in keeping our history alive. It's all connected, you know, it's all connected. You have asked me about the tours and uh, yes, we do make profit from it. And yes, with that profit, we again go around, around and just, you know, flip the money and um, buy stuff and keep stuff and repair our cars. And it's just like a self-sustaining little ecosystem. Who's the we? So the we in the story is Yugoverse and is Zastava fan club that exists for more than 12 years in Serbia now. And the only difference between the two is that, you know, this is a fan club that organizes gatherings and people hanging out. And Yugoverse is my company that is there to make profit. So it's there for us to try and make profit with the cars that we actually do have. So we never had this um, way of doing like buying cars for the business. It was vice versa. So we already had our cars and then we decided to use them for, you know, their well-being, our well-being and, and everybody's well-being because Zastava needs to be mentioned more often as our domestic brand that we should be proud of, like every nation is proud of their things, right? Um, instead of just bashing it like a bad product, like, you know, people tend to do.
We have fully customized our tours now since we have enough vehicles and enough drivers to, you know, pick the cars and pick the destinations. We do offer, let's say, generic tours about Yugoslavia for the lovers of Yugoslavia, where we take them through New Belgrade, show them all the socialist, brutalist um, buildings and modernist buildings and tell them about the history of New Belgrade as the capital of Yugoslavia, how it was built, the, the national youth organizations, the all the, you know, volunteer free work. And we combine that with the story of our cars and the factory and the fact that they're driving in very, very old cars. We take them to the Museum of Yugoslavia, where they go, as I said, a full circle. Um, and then they ha- can complete the story about Tito and Yugoslavia. People who come to our Yugoslavia tour come with some knowledge about it, at least basic knowledge. They ask a lot of questions, which I really like because, you know, it's interactive, I love answering questions. And they do come with some misconceptions about Serbia, you know, some of them think we're still at war, some of them don't know anything, you know, about anything. So it's nice to hear them saying um, that they've learned something on that day, you know, they have changed their mind about Belgrade, they have learned of the piece of history they never knew existed. I try to connect the story of Yugoslavia with their country, wherever they're coming from. You know, I do some parallels. I mention some of the world leaders. I mention the Tito. When we spoke at the end of May, Stojkovic just returned from a big tour for a large group of Dutch people featuring 17 cars. 99% of our guests are from abroad, from France, from Norway, um, Germany, United Arab Emirates, India, um, today Netherlands. So, yeah, we have people from all over the world and it's fascinating to, you know, just hear different stories and hear different perspectives that people have on this. But as well, we offer personalized tours for the people who either are not interested in this or have already seen it. Because we do have people who are not interested in hearing a lot about history, but rather they consider our cars super fun and super cute and they want to experience the old timer experience as it is. So we offer the option to them, you know, for them to tell us where they want to go, give us some ideas, some hints, you know, sometimes they don't really know what they want. They say, I want a cool view, or they say, I want to go to nature. So we compose this tour for them. We tell them, okay, this is our suggestion. We have a lot of celebrations, birthdays, weddings, surprise parties, you know, people have called us for all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, we are fully able to, you know, accommodate most of the needs. So, yeah, the major difference is that uh, on Yugoslavia tours, we have geeks, like history geeks and car geeks. Some of them even own the Yugo or have seen it before, driven it before. And then the people who just consider them fun don't really commit too much. They just want to be seen in the city in the cool car. So you drive this car around and, you know, people ride in it for any reason that you mentioned. Uh, what about the response that you get on the street? You know, do people, I would expect that uh, you get a lot of, uh, you, you turn a lot of heads with, uh, with the car. Tell me about that. Yes, we turn a lot of heads, um, especially when we travel to a different town or a different country. Like I used to go to Sarajevo. Um, I've been there two weeks ago and I got a call from the, you know, um, news reporter that wanted to do the story with me in January, but then I got back home and she was like, oh, please call me the next time you get here. So I called her and I arrived in Sarajevo and I parked straight in front of the TV cameras that were waiting for me. And there was like 20 people as soon as I turned around, just standing and taking pictures and videos and just like, wow, you know, it's not only a feature, it's a Serbian license plate feature. Like they, they came 300 kilometers just to, you know, 
chilling here. Yeah, yeah. So how was that ride? I mean, I've I've done the trip uh, by bus, and it's not uh, not too much fun. <laughs> Do you ever fear that you're gonna break down in the middle of it, or what's it like to drive from Belgrade to Sarajevo on, on uh, in the future? Honestly, if I had the fear, I would probably not go anywhere. Um, I don't actually think about it while I travel. You know what? If it happens, it happens. I mean. It's like you can't walk around in the street thinking if someone, some lunatic is gonna go on the sidewalk and, you know, run you over with the car. So the journey with this car is an incredible experience of its own. You have all the time in the world to look around because you're so slow, obviously, and you're not rushing to get to your destination as quickly as possible, but rather you're enjoying the journey. So yeah, I don't really think about, you know, any, any things breaking down and even if it happens usually I know what it is and I can fix it and if I can't fix it I have friends who can so no matter what I have someone to call and they might take a little longer to get there but then you know I'm gonna see them and I'm gonna be happy to see them and it's gonna be a nice hanging out um, experience so this is feature connecting people kind of vibe so you mentioned that uh, you know you have a lot of cars you have to keep track of them you have tours you know different tours with different people etc etc sometimes you don't know where your head is at um, and yet you just tell the story of how this car basically slows down your life in a sense uh, so that's a that's an interesting contrast yes it's like a perfect balance you know when i'm in this car i'm not rushing i'm just going slowly and i'm just kind of looking at these reactions from people that you mentioned earlier and people are smiling and it's nice to see smiling people waving at you it's just brightening someone's day and they're brightening your day um, in return so yes i do need this car in my life if i drove a brand new sports car i probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you anyway so yes people are living too quickly and it's just everything is happening so fast they're behaving like they have nine lives instead of one so i'm just trying to follow the example of our grandparents and our parents who never had the rush to go anywhere they've enjoyed the journey to either seaside or the mountain or anywhere they went they they were never in a hurry you know they didn't yeah. know about anything faster yeah. this was the fastest they could go yeah. uh, so i can confirm as I, as we're driving around and i'm looking at you know people uh, who are looking at the car lots of smiles lots of like <laughs> look at that you know look at the look at this feature look at the you know what's what's happening and so when you go through uh, let's say a uh, uh, streets like this or through new belgrade What are some of the stories you tell people, uh, tell customers, tell guests about uh, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing? I like to make them imagine the life that people led when these buildings were just made. And I like to explain to them the concept between new Belgrade blocks. The fact that they were making, uh, let's say, people-friendly living spaces. Meaning that in your block you would have a school, you would have a mini hospital, you would have a kindergarten, the park and the supermarket. Like you would have everything you need with no need to travel to a different part of town or a different side of town to do basic things. And there was enough space for everyone. There was enough space in schools for all the kids. There was enough uh, parking spots for all the cars, you know. Everything was just perfectly planned out and there were a lot of greener, green spaces, a lot of greenery around. You can see a lot of trees still, even though plenty of them are chopped off. So everything was just, you know, planned out and people friendly, not like today.
A two to three hour Yugoslavia tour is 40 euros, the length depending on traffic conditions, length of stay at the Museum of Yugoslavia, and the number of questions people ask. If you do take the tour, tell Jovana you heard about Yugoverse on this podcast. No, there is no discount, just a good feeling of fostering connections. Uh, do you have a favorite block in uh, Novi Beograd? Favorite book? Block. Block. Um, probably block 30, because that's where part of my family is still right now, and that's where I partially grew up, and it's just so nice. It has a lot of green areas around, and the buildings are nice, and the apartments are amazing, and it doesn't look as socialist as the rest of New Belgrade, because the buildings are all white. They're not like gray concrete. They're not unfriendly looking as the block 23 you can see right in front of us it's like pure concrete you know they, they look mean and yeah. this one as well well televisorke is uh, yeah. interesting for its windows that look like tv yeah. sets but it's very interesting but most people will just tell you it's ugly <laughs> <laughs> fair enough but then again you need to understand the people who live there look at this every day and they just don't see yeah. it as, as something special and you can say look at this lady at the traffic light see, see her like She's smiling so much and you can say the same for me and my car. I'm so used to it that I don't think about it anymore. I don't see it that way anymore, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. If I see another feature in the street, I'm gonna come close to it and check all the details and see if there's something missing, but I'm not gonna look at it and be like, oh wow, look yeah, at yeah, it, it's yeah, a yeah. feature. Yeah, yeah. Just because I'm so used to it. That's. I think that's the same thing that happens with people living in the Genex Tower or something else. You know, today on the tour, I met a guy who lives in Genex, as he said, for 38 years already. Wow. And he was fascinated by the fact that we're fascinated by his building. You know, he's, he said, I'm just so used to it that I'm really glad to see people gathering here to talk about the towers, you know? Yeah. It's been declared the cultural monument. Cultural monument, yeah, sorry. In, in November uh, last year. Right, right. But now it's been advertised for sale, which makes me feel mixed feelings you know I'm aware that the country is never gonna invest any money in it most likely um, so I'm just hoping that the fact that it's been um, announced as a cultural monument is gonna protect the actual look of the building so whoever buys it will have to you know keep the original looks or you know improve it minimalistically so yeah, how much is it I'm actually not sure. I'm not sure. I didn't know. I can't afford it. So. I, I was, yeah, that, that's where I was going. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't afford it. If I was a crazy rich person, I would probably buy it and just sit in the not, never revolving restaurant at the top and look down at the city and just, I don't know, admire it. How many how many features would it take to buy one Genex Tower? Oh, <laughs> I probably they don't exist in that number anymore. <laughs> The asking price for the Genex Tower, according to media reports, is 2 billion Serbian dinars, or 18 million US dollars. At about $7,000 per a mint feature, a price I'm finding online, it would take 2,600 features to buy one Genex Tower. A stack of these cars would equal the height of 26 Genex Towers, or horizontally, about the distance on the New Belgrade end of the Brotherhood and Unity Highway from the Genex Tower to the Sava River. At the outset of the Remembering Yugoslavia project, I dreamed of buying a Yugo 45. I drive the route of the 1984 Sarajevo Olympics torch around the former country, with a folding table and chair and an Unis typewriter in the trunk. I would stop at central squares, markets and events and type people's answers to the question, what does Yugoslavia mean to you? 
I might still do it, but I'd rather get a feature. It would be red, and its nickname would be Srečko, Little Happiness. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. There is not one Lepa Brena, there is several Lepa Brenas. We wanted to detect which Brena is important for us. Lepa Brena is the greatest and best-selling Yugoslav pop star. She also continues to personify Yugoslavia for many people in the region to this day. Who is she? What is she? How do people remember her? And why? On the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, Lepa Brena, Lepa Brena, Lepa Brena, Lepa Brena, Lepa Brena. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find additional information, photos, links, sources, and the transcript of this episode at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. And if you're up for the little drive through the land of supporting Remembering Yugoslavia, chip in for the petrol at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate. Vroom vroom. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petrich. Song Pichi Ficha by Sabria Vulic used with permission and gratitude. Follow him on social media and music streaming platforms. Additional music by Ergo Fizmis, Ketza and Petar Alargic, licensed under Creative Commons. Special thanks to Ryan Spearing. I am Petar Korchniak. Ciao. Ciao.